Hello, Woodlane community. This is Pastor Brian, and you are listening to the Woodlane Worship Podcast, episode 072. If you are listening to this, you are an honorary member of our community where we seek to bring the presence of Christ to those around us. On this week's episode, as the holiday season gets closer, many of us think of family. Maybe we look forward to a big get-together. Maybe we even dread the idea. God's Word has some powerful ideas that can help us not only survive getting together with family, but making it a time of joy. This week, however, we remember that God's idea of family isn't just limited to mom, dad, brother, sister. It's bigger in a way that can really make a difference in our lives. Check it out. Well, if I can say again, it is good to be back among family. It's been certainly an exciting last four months. I have learned a lot. We've gotten to experience a lot much of which I'm sure over the next couple weeks and months, I'll share some of it with you. But there is something about being on the road, something about seeing all these different churches. We probably went to a dozen or so different churches across the 17 weeks. There's something about that that feels like you're living out of a suitcase. You know, when you go on vacation, it's great, it's exciting, but there comes a point when you want to sleep in your own bed. There comes a point when you want to take your clothes out of your own dresser. There's a point where as neat as it is to meet all these different people and hear all these different kinds of stories, you want to be back among family. You want to be back among those who know you, who you know well. People that you get around them and you just go, and you just find a way to settle in because you're among people who love you. At the same time, there are some moments in life that family makes you go, and there are some moments in life that family makes you go, ah! (laughs) And you want to shave your head just so you have no more hair to pull out. You got kids bouncing off the walls like ping pong balls on monster drink. You get together, family, and you got that one uncle that cannot get off of the story of how they threw the touchdown pass, winning the game in the peewee championships in fourth grade, even though they're now like 84. You've got the in-law who, while you're trying to cook the Thanksgiving turkey, says, no, you're doing it wrong. Get out of the way. Let me do it for you. And they find the time to let you know this stuff when everybody down to your third cousin is there in the room watching the spectacle. Like, let's just cook up some popcorn here for this one. You get together with family, and you want Norman Rockwell, but you end up with National Lampoon. That movie is so fitting for some Christmases. But as we get into the holiday season, between Thanksgiving, between Christmas, New Year's, some of that stuff about family can get ratcheted up a little bit. So how do we deal with the Clark Griswold family or the National Lampoon family get-together. That's sort of the stuff we're going to explore over these next couple of weeks. But first off, I want you to think a little bit bigger. Because God does not limit the idea of family down to just mother, father, child. God describes family in a way that does not have to be nuclear. That 2.3 kids in a picket fence sort of picture doesn't have to be just that way, just limited to that. Check it out, how Paul puts it to the Ephesians. When he says, writing to them, So then, remember 
that at one time, you Gentiles, you non-Jews, by birth, called the uncircumcision, by those who are called the circumcision, the Jews, a physical circumcision made by the flesh by human hands. So we've got two very, very distinct groups here. We have the Jews, the circumcised, the physical mark that separated these two groups, and the Gentiles, the uncircumcised. Now we're not just talking different in the sense of here's the Borland family and here's the Meyer family. We're talking about Yankees fans and Red Sox fans. Okay, good, I'm glad that rang a bell with a few people. We're talking about you being put in the same room on the same project with the person who stole your idea, got your promotion, and took your raise at the office. Talk about putting those two together. Groups that could not like each other if it meant saving their lives. I imagine in Luke 18, when uh, the story of the Pharisee who's praying and the sinner or the tax collector who's praying, I could imagine the Pharisee, the Jew, praying, God, thank you that I am not like this sinning Gentile. Want nothing to do with each other. Relationally, it's like oil and water. So Paul goes on to describe Paul as a guy who was born and studied as a Jew, talking to these Gentiles. So it reminds them of what their situation was like. He says, remember that you were at the time without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenant of promise, having no hope and without God. Paul's reminding them of what their situation was like. This group that is non-Jewish, different even than him. He reminds them they were without Christ. He reminds them they were aliens from the commonwealth of God, strangers to the covenant of promise. Back in Exodus, God said through Moses to the Jews, to the nation of Israel, he said, I will be your God and you will be my people. And he said that to the Jews, not to the Gentiles. And Paul reminds them of this situation. To put it clearly, they are very, very different groups. But now, he says in verse 13, Now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. All of a sudden, these two groups that are like oil and water trying to mix together, it just won't happen, are starting to mix. By this miracle, those who, are, who have no hope are being invited to the table because they have this common characteristic among them. In Christ, you who are once far off the Gentiles have been brought near. He's saying, all right, come on, come close. Join those who have been my people all this time. How? Been brought near by the blood of Jesus Christ. The common work that Christ did for all people. Now what's the goal of this? Why did Jesus do this? Why is Paul bringing this up to these two groups that just cannot get along? He says, here's the goal out of verse 14. He says, for he, Jesus, is our peace. In his flesh, he has made both groups into one and has broken down the dividing wall that is the hostility between us. Now hang on to your seats here. Jesus is pulling off a miracle. He's getting oil and water, proverbially speaking, to mix together. What he did on the cross, 
is taking these groups that are so very different and breaking down the walls between them, eliminating the hostility, nixing anything that would get them to hate each other the way that they do. And if that idea isn't clear enough, Paul continues for the next couple of verses, starting out in verse 15. He says, He, Jesus, has abolished the law with its, its commandments and its ordinances, that he might f- create for himself one new humanity in the place of the two. So basically, all of humanity is grouped into one of these two groups, either the Jews or the non-Jews. You're really either one or the other as far as your birth. So we think of Jews and Gentiles, that pretty much encapsulates anybody with breath in their lungs and beats in their heart. He says, I'm taking these, both these groups into one, and on to verse 15, that he might create for himself one new humanity in the place of the two, thus making peace. And might reconcile both groups to God in one body, oil and water starting to mix, through the cross. Thus putting to death that hostility through it. The cross, not just putting sin to death, but putting that hostility that comes out of it to death. So he came and proclaimed peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him, both of us, the Jew and the Gentile, have access in one spirit to the Father. A lot of work that that cross did. A lot of work that Jesus did for an awfully big goal. So where does all of this lead? What's the purpose of all this that he's laying out? It says in verse 19, So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens. This is the result of the cross. You are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are citizens with the saints and also members of the household of God. Both groups, the oil and the water. Now put clearly, those who trust Jesus, regardless of their race, their nationality, their age, their gender, their mental capacity, whatever kind of things we could use to distinguish ourselves from somebody else. Those who are in Christ Jesus are a part of the household of God, whatever those other things look like. That sounds an awful lot like family. That's not waxing poetic. That's calling God's church by a name that scripture itself might as well use. I'm sure there are other places that didn't cross my computer screen where that exact word is used. So what if the God who holds the universe together, not only created it, but holds it together, could bring a people group together, diverse, unique, maybe even disagreeing as it may be, to be Woodlane Community Church, to be the family that it was called to be? My friends, family isn't an analogy. It's just the way it is. Why does that idea matter? Because the church that gets family gets its mission. Think about how family works, even in its most broken places. If you were to go and your brother or your sister looks at you funny, they breathed on me. You don't go, you gave me the dragon eye, I'm going to go find a new family. Right? Or at least you hope not. Sometimes you go to mom and dad. Sometimes you, hmm. Hopefully, 
whatever it looks like, you try to work it out. You try to remember you're still brother and sister, like it or not. Now, Paul gets something, certainly. When he, when he writes in verse 21, he says, In him, in Christ, the whole structure, we'll call it the church, is joined together and grows into the holy temple in the Lord. Now, the thing that Paul gets, I've never seen anything to say that Paul was married or had kids, but he must have been an uncle or something like that, because he gets that family sometimes gets messy, and relationships and stuff like that get really honked up. So I'll try and demonstrate here. You got the, this web of family, that, and this person's connected to this person, and, and this person likes this one, and this one has the same interests as this person, and... This person's connected here and went to school with this person and, and all of these kinds of relationships just make this really strange web. And it's not always pretty. Growing things never stay put. He says the church, this group, is growing, grows into the holy temple of the Lord. If you don't believe me, I've got three examples downstairs of growing things that do not stay put. And Amanda has two more. And many, many of you guys have many of your own examples. You know, Paul says in, in Romans, he talks about offering ourselves as living sacrifices. The thing about living sacrifices, they often crawl off the altar. Same kind of idea. So how do we deal with the fact that family sometimes just gets messy? Relationships get complicated. Well, the good thing is that what I'm going to tell you does not just go for family as a church. But this can start to spill out into our family that might get together for Thanksgiving, over Christmas, something like that. Just a few ideas of how we deal with messy when it comes to family. First off, start with yourself. Craig Goshell, who is a, a pastor um, of Life Church, one of the biggest, fastest growing churches out there, he says, we often judge others by their actions while judging ourselves by our intentions. We'll say for ourselves and what we do, we say, I didn't mean to hurt them, so that means I'm off the hook. We're often willing to give ourselves the grace to say, you know what, I didn't mean to say something hurtful, so they shouldn't be hurt by what I said. But what if we were able to give other people the same kind of grace that we are willing to give ourselves? all of a sudden unity might seem a lot more plausible, a lot closer to reality. Another idea, connect, don't clash. Find something that is a common ground. It's often easy when there's somebody different than us that we're next to, to find the things that we disagree about, to find the things that are different. As Sesame Street rightly or wrongly put it to so many kids in my generation growing up, which one of these is not like the other? You know, what's the thing that's different? Well, what if we paid attention to the things that we had in common? Paul has laid it out between these two groups that are so vastly different, ethnically, nationally, probably even belief-wise, depending on where they came from. He says, there is something you guys have in common, the work and the blood and the victory of Jesus. Yeah, sure, there are things that are different, but hang on to that. Focus on that. To think even a little bit bigger than just what it's like being sitting across the table from somebody. 
for right or wrong, the world outside of the church often says they know what the church is against. Oftentimes, they're pretty spot on. They can tell what the church is against. What if the church showed the world what they were for, what they did believe in? Maybe even this idea of unity would be one of them. This idea of loving people even when they're different than you. One more idea. Love above all. The disciples asked Jesus at one point, they said, what is the greatest commandment? Now that's a great question to ask. And Jesus is a great one, a great person to ask to give the answer. And Jesus says, love God, love neighbor. Basically what it boils down to. And all the other rules, ideas, laws, they really stem out of those two, right? Love God and love your neighbor. Well, when somebody gets under our skin, whether they're in our church family, our nuclear family, our office family, what if somebody got under our skin and we ran our response through that filter? Love God, love neighbor. All of a sudden, pushing them down the stairs or keying their car in the parking lot sort of falls off the list of options, doesn't it? Wouldn't be really loving to them, to neighbor. Wouldn't be very loving, glorifying to God. So why does this matter? Why would Paul spend half a chapter of this book that does not waste a lot of words talking about unity between two groups? Because we've already agreed that relationships are messy. That's not a good thing. That's not a bad thing. That's just a a thing thing. But what if among these relationships that are messy and kind of all over the place, this one's cut. They looked at each other funny. And this one's cut. He got the girl, not me. And this one's cut. They said something that I didn't like. All of a sudden, it's very easy for the whole thing to just fall apart. It doesn't take all of them individually to fall apart, to make the mess pretty much a disaster. Start with yourself. Connect. Don't clash. Love above all. This week, even if these ideas just bring to attention something that may go on in a relationship that you have with somebody, even if you just think, wow, for, you know, somebody says something against you or, or you have a, a certain feeling towards somebody, and you're like, wait, what, what do we maybe have in common? Or love God, love neighbor. How can I respond in a way that, hard as it might be, kind of lives into that? Pay attention to that this week. Maybe even put it into practice this week. And see what kind of miracle God can do through his family that he calls the church. Thanks again for listening to the Woodland Worship Podcast. I hope we've given you something to make you think. If you'd like some more information about our community, check us out at woodlanechurch.org or visit our Facebook page at Woodlane Newark. If you happen to be in the Finger Lakes area, come check us out live on a Sunday morning at 9.45 a.m. See you next week on the Woodlane Worship Podcast.